House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 4, King of the Narrow Sea. The very first scene is on the necklace that Damon gave Rhaenyra, and she's fondling it. <laughs> I can't blame her. She is being, um, uh, what would be the word? She's being bid for by old man Dondarrion. Well, it's funny because like one of the things that we chat a lot about here is we're constantly looking for any possible like themes or symbolism from our own perspectives that we can apply here. And so us opening out on, uh, or opening up on just the shot of her touching that necklace in the context of that situation, one, I think could speak to, you know, this attraction or being drawn to Damon. Uh, what's interesting is she hasn't seen him in four years at this point. So she went from 15 to about 19 here. And then uh, the very gift itself of the Valerian steel necklace from Damon to her shows an understanding of her quality and worth the way that she wants to be seen and understood. So as she's sitting here with all these suitors, she feels insulted. They're not up to scratch of what she would consider worthy for her. But yet that is something with Damon with all his faults does seem to at least understand with her. And we got a new castle, our first look at Storm's End, which is the Baratheon castle. We didn't see much of it, but the guy who was next to her was definitely whatever the lord of, of House Baratheon. And you could hear a storm going on in the background, so nice little detail. Yeah, I didn't catch that, but you did. So she doesn't like what's happening. She's got first an old man, then a young boy, you know, trying to sell her, and this young boy is... Um, gets made fun of by another guy. And these are two houses that um, have a history together, so that's why he's being so such a jerk. Renera was kind of a jerk herself. She was uh, she liked the guy who was who was taunting the little boy. She was like, Oh, I could learn to like this guy or something something to that effect and she's laughing and whatnot. Yeah, and I think we, we see several instances in this short little exchange there where even the Baratheon Lord, who probably has not dealt with Rhaenyra a whole lot ever or even a whole lot of the Targaryens and here this is she's representing the kingdom she's representing her family and her dad and he even reproaches her and says that was unseemly she insults the guy in front of everybody and then she insults the boy and it just kind of shows her lack of either one knowledge of who these people are and that they deserve more respect or she has the knowledge and doesn't care so she gives it's unseemly and then she seems to be drawn to the guy who's just acting like an immature dick who gets killed in this duel so now one thing this this duel happens in the book it's not i don't know if it's the same people or whatever it just quickly mentions that a duel was fought over her it's not at storm's end or whatever but this is obviously something to do with the book but one thing this show seems to be doing is that it, it seems to be having death in every scene in the book where death is not specified so it doesn't say anyone was killed in the duel and then in the tournament in episode one, where people were killed, it doesn't say anybody was killed in that tournament. So they're, for whatever reason, making things quite bloody and violent. Perhaps it's just um, what's bubbling under the surface, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. And then that poor kid, I don't know if you noticed, after he, he stabbed the other guy, he was almost having like a panic attack afterward. You can see him like... <gasps> Often and puffing afterward. It was a very short oh, scene. But... I, I took it as that he, he fought for his life. And he's just tired? Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, a lot of adrenaline and that. I mean, those swords are very heavy. And if you're a little kid, you're lucky to get it off the ground 
let alone able to wield it about and disembowel somebody. So And he had a full side sword, whereas the other guy had a smaller sword, I noticed. Um but whatever. Well, there's definitely conflict between those two houses now. Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. That's like Baratheon told them, like, put the, the steel away and still ended up killing. <clears throat> I, I think, fit- quote, it was, put that away, you twats. <laughs> yeah. so. so it reminded me of um, Lord Commander, because he said that a lot of, of, uh, in Game of Thrones. The one that didn't oh, like Jon Snow. The Night's Watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sir um, Alistair. Thorne? Alistair Thorne, yeah. All these little squabbles you would think to, would lead to larger violence, and they're just letting it happen. But, you know, not, not important to the scene, perhaps, but um, it's just showing that, that violence is happening. And We talked last episode about Rainier acting immature. Do you think she's acting immature here? Is that a continuation of it? Did you think it didn't really stand out to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, she's, she's acting immature. You know, like, I right. thought this was the worst. Yeah. Like, like uh, yeah, it's a little worse later when she lies and stuff. But this episode, compared yeah. to any of the other ones. Oh, this episode, And yeah. the reason why I'm saying that is she's the oldest yet yeah. in this episode, and yet this was the most immature throughout this entire episode, yeah. with a few moments of not, but most of it is, is just a lot of immaturity, um, that petulance we talked about. and um, I mean, she I, clearly doesn't want to be doing this, and it's, it's like, as viewers... But now she's flaunting that. Right. And as viewers, we can't really blame her. It sucks, but it's also like, well... Like, you know, Allison she, doesn't she, want to be doing all right. half the she, stuff she's doing, but she's doing it. She keeps complaining about how hard it is in The Princess, and everybody has to keep reminding her, like, <laughs> do you not know what it's like out there for other people? You have it so easy. And that's just it. She yeah. doesn't. Yeah. So she ends the tour early. Uh, I guess it's been going on for two months or so, and she's heading back on the boat, and then um, Damon flies overhead. She's, and her reaction when she sees him. She's clearly excited. Yeah. Even though she falls down and bumps her head. And but, it also shows, like, again, like, some slight symbolism, him coming in. He can see that ship. It's not, you know, something he can't see at all. And he flies in so low that it causes the ship to wobble and, and her to get hurt. And so it shows how Damon is willing to stumble about in his life and hurt whomever along the way. And then when when he, I don't know, this is going to be a stupid stupid analogy. When, when Damon knocks her down, Cole picks her up twice in this episode. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. So, but you're right. The important thing to see here is that Renera is happy to see him, and th- then we go into the throne room. Is that what we would call it? We go into the throne room, and uh, yeah, I, I guess so. But it's also the court where they hold court. Right. Yeah. You'd think I would know the name of this room. After watching 75 episodes of Game of Thrones. Well, there's a buzz in the air. Everyone's whispering Damon's name. And, uh, oh, it's Damon, it's Damon. And then when he shows up, all eyes are on him. So he's kind of stealing the scene here. And we, as viewers, I suppose, and Viserys certainly... No, nobody really knows what his intentions are. Is he going to come and do something assholey? Is he going to come and do what he did? We don't know. But there's clearly, like, a excitement. So... I found it worthy of note in this moment how the entire court was convened for his official re- uh, arrival. When he first speaks to Viserys, um, there's no interaction with anyone else. Because we already know that he comes to King's Landing and the king is not informed. Or that there isn't the, the whole court isn't convened. It takes time to send out the word to get everybody to come. So some time has passed. We don't know how long. 
but enough time for the word to get out for everybody to show up in their full garb and to be there and to witness this. It's probably at least a day, if not days later. It's not by accident that he is being received with everybody watching. It's not a private audience here. Which seems a bit like a risky move because he's such a loose cannon. Ah, but risky in the fact that I guess yeah. he's not with his dragon. There's all the king's guard there, right. all the witnesses. Like Viserys could turn him into a little punk if he wanted. Viserys holds the upper hand in this right. situation. Yeah. So, Damon shows up wearing a crown, which is a ballsy move, but of course it's all kind of show, and he surrenders it to the real king. There's only one king in this land. He says. And then he throws down the sword. He says, add it to the chair, reminiscent of when Barristan Selmy threw down the sword. Here, boy, add it to the others. Oh, I just took it as reminiscent of Aegon. And whenever they conquer a land or a people, they take the swords and add it to the chair. And it was Damon's way of saying, you've got another conquered group here. Add it to the chair. And the- then I wondered about any significance of that, because we already know that this chair... And, and what it represents is destroying Viserys. <laughs> Another opportunity is, for Viserys to cut himself? Yeah, it, in a way, is this Damon actually undercutting? Ooh. <laughs> Poor Viserys, man. His body is just falling apart. We'll talk more about that yeah. later. But um, Yeah, Damon and Otto have a nice little stare down here. I saw that, too. Yeah. They size each other up. And, and, and it just shows that they're still at it and nothing has changed. And they're both acknowledge each other yeah uh Viserys accepts him back and very next scene they're all chummy drinking laughing Viserys you know it, it really shows that Alicent is lonely here yeah but I think it also shows that Viserys is lonely here because how much he wants to be friends with Damon and how much he wants this brotherhood and friendship to work out and how happy he is to see him here so he's laughing oh you're you were always mom's favorite blah 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 but without resentment yeah, yeah, it's it's friendly. He's yeah. he's he's happy to see him, and then Alicent is um trying to do the proper thing. It's like, oh, maybe you'll like this new art that we got or whatever. And Viserys kind of <laughs> undermines her there. Oh, totally. He, he just laughs. I mean, clearly Damon would not be interested. And the way I took it from the Viserys is um very comfortable and very happy here is the way I, I took that. He's just, it's like when you're drinking at a barbecue with your family and you're just <laughs> letting it go a little bit. But Alison, that, that further, um, further pushes her into a feeling of solitude that even the king, which normally she's the perfect representative of him. And this would be a good suggestion or whatever. It's just that it's Damon and, and brotherly uh, comfort and stuff where, he, you know, the- well, then Renera ends up kind of, coming to Allison's rescue and saying, all right, I'll check them out, even though she doesn't go and look at them. But um. I, I, Yeah, I took that as a further stuff. Um, Renera's like, I'll check out the art by myself. you know. So I took it as kind of an insult to Allison, but maybe not because in the very next scene, they kind of make up as friends. How I took that is Viserys is happy to see Damon. He isn't totally happy here because he's pissed at Renera for ending her tour early and not managing herself well on the tour. And you can see he's mad at her. So when she kind of jumps in as if everything's all fine, he's like, do as you wish. Um, and basically saying, I'm not going to go with you. Because that was the whole point, is that Viserys was supposed to go with Damon to go look at the tapestries. I think this does show, though, just how complicated Damon and Viserys' relationship is. I think a lot of people could probably relate to 
someone in their life where you love them, you're always going to love them, but the love is complicated. The person makes it so hard to love them, to not be mad at them, to not sabotage the relationship with just enough time or opportunity. And, and it's just, there's this cycle with them of, of love, connection, anger, banishment over and over and over. And what's interesting is that we've talked a lot about before about the significance of the like the second son always trying to prove himself and stuff but in this it's almost the inverse it's like the series like wants this love like you think about like robert and stannis where robert didn't want stannis anywhere around you know um because stannis is such a so such a pain in the ass to be around and stannis was always like upset as a little brother syndrome that his bigger brother didn't love him or whatever but this is it's almost the reverse it's like the series wants this love from his little brother I also two two from whatever you know yeah I also think that there's a certain personality types within the Targaryen family and Viserys is like yeah he said the blood of the dragon is chaotic in those two. Oh god it just occurred to me Master Aemon yeah Maester Aemon from the night yeah Watch. but Maester Aemon he passed up the throne and then ends up going to the the wall and stuff, but he he willingly passed it up. Maester Aemon has the the temperament similar to Viserys, where they're thoughtful, they're they're not hot blooded, but yet uh, like Danny, her brother Viserys, and even her older older brother uh, Rhaegar, who ended up with Lyanna, they all have this kind of hot blooded fiery spirit and, and Viserys even talks about this later on in the episode when Otto comes and talks to him uh, but Damon has this Rhaenyra has this I don't know if Rhaegar Rhaegar was a musician a poet uh, I mean he was a warrior but you make but, a big move like go off with Lyanna Stark uh, yeah he doesn't seem because he, he at that time with Rhaegar and them they didn't have dragons anymore so it's harder to see some of this ferocity. Well, regardless, the, the point is that, yeah, some of these, and as you said, um, Viserys said this, some of these Targaryens have are hot-blooded, and Viserys said something like, there's chaos within them, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Daemon is certainly that, and Rhaenyra is... Well, it's like an idle hands thing with children. When you have people like this, when you have a Targaryen like this, and you give them tours with kids and, like, old men, like... You, you have to keep them occupied. And the problem right now is Damon is now unoccupied. He doesn't have the war in the Stepstones. And Rhaenyra definitely needs to be occupied. Yeah. They're underutilized. Yeah, so like I said, Alicent and Rhaenyra kind of make up in the next scene. Rhaenyra describes, oh, I don't want to, you know, just be an incubator, essentially. Realizes that he's kind of describing Alicent's life and apologizes. That she's describing Alicent? Yeah, Rhaenyra's describing Alicent's life by saying what she doesn't want to be. And Alicent, you know, says she's lonely, and we see that a lot in this episode. She has few friends now that she's queen. Well, it looks like they're working to maybe mend their relationship a little bit. It's almost like I think they both, in their new positions and what they're having to deal with, miss what they used to have before all this changed. Right, as they their stature grows, they get more isolated, and they need more of a friend. I really thought that the actress Emily Carey, who plays Alicent here, she did a really nice job in this episode. She portrays a lot of her feelings very well in her face. I felt pretty bad for her during this exchange with Renera. You can tell she's very lonely and lost and that she's not very happy. 
Yeah, the acting in this show is great across the board. It's really good. The casting is really good. Yeah, it's it's been a solid hit with with casting. So Renera and Damon meet with each other. They go back and forth between speaking High Valerian and English. The Valerian sounds great. <clears throat> Just again, the acting and whoever produced this language, it flows. It sounds real. It's mm-hmm. it, they just did a real good job with that. It sounds the same as what Danny spoke. I recognize some of the words that I did. Uh, I again, the show is having us that the only people who are speaking High Valerian to each other, even though I think other people do speak it, but the only ones who do it are Damon and Renera. So I think that there's an aspect to that as well, and. So in this conversation that Renera and Damon have, she she does admit that she has knowledge that marriage is different for women in her conversation with Damon. It's kind of a continuation of this conversation just we had with Allison. She says that marriage for women is all about producing heirs. That's who her mother was. She was just here to produce heirs. That's what we're here for with marriage, and she doesn't want that. And it killed her mother. She makes that point. Mm-hmm. And she says she just wants to live in solitude. I don't know if that's just teenage angst or whatever, but... Basically, she doesn't want to get married. That's that's the, the point here. It's a bit ironic just after Allison is telling her how lonely she is, and yet Renera just wants solitude. Yeah. Yeah, and she has been on this months-long tour meeting person after person, yeah. so it could just be this moment. But a couple lines here that I noticed. You know, she asks, why is Damon back? He says, the comforts of home, whatever that means. And he says at some point, you've matured yourself, princess. So this, he's seeing her now different yeah. from... As, from a child. I'm trying to remember, but I thought she kind of had a little bit of like a... She didn't literally blush, but it almost looked like she had like a blushing moment. Just kind of like, oh, well, thank you kind of thing. Yeah. Like this is their acknowledgement. Like, okay, we're we're all adults now, even though she is still a very, very young adult. As displayed with the immaturity throughout a lot of this episode. So then we're at a small council meeting and they are informed that... The sea snake is planning to marry his daughter off to the sea lord of Bravos, so that's no good for Westeros. That's empowering a foreign power. It does show Otto's trust with this whole council because he says his older brother has received news of this. So all of this is coming from the high towers, which definitely affects making decisions here and such. Yeah, that was interesting. I wonder why the news spread through that route. Might not be important, but they did decide to bring it up in the episode. Mm-hmm. But then it's suggested that we need to put some salve on this wound. Right. And Renera is now sitting at the small council, so she's not a cupbearer anymore. Mm-hmm. She's part of the club. And you can see on her face that she's considering, like, oh, that's, <laughs> I guess that's, they're talking about me here or implying that I'm next. It didn't seem, it seemed like to me she was weighing that it actually, this had to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't like, Oh, no, no, they're going to tell me to do this. She was like, oh, this is a good point. She's not being aloof with this. I thought right. this was finally a time where she was starting to be more plugged in to what it actually means to be a ruler. Then we see later that Alicent has a baby girl now. The baby's crying and the servants go to her, but it's just like the camera work and everything is again just showing us that she's isolated. The way it was shot, too, is the scene starts off with the servants lighting candles and going throughout the castle. Basically, it's nighttime now. And Allison is here taking care of a crying baby. And Renera just gets to go off uh, and, you know, go to sleep or whatever she wants. But it shows 
same time of day, but very, very different lives and what they're doing. Right. Rhaenyra gets to go party now while Alicent's stuck with this crying baby. Although the point that you made in our brief contest, she's not really stuck. Right. You know, she could pass it off to the servants, but she's choosing to be with the baby, which, you know, she is the mother. Or it's just the show's way of showing the contrast. Although that baby was definitely not crying, that literal baby. Oh. <laughs> it was just being cute and chill on uh, being held. And <laughs> I got to send that baby back to acting school. <laughs> All right. So Renera goes home and. Re- oh, Renera goes to her room. Renera goes to her room and Kristen Cole lets her in. And she spies a little package of dirty clothes and a map to a secret passage. So I guess this a little bit better. I don't know if the clothes were dirty. Well, whatever. I think they were just... She smells them, you know. um, But I guess the secret passageway gives a little more context to how Damon was able to spy on the small council in the first episode, which I was like, how do you get in there? Blah, blah, blah. So apparently Damon just knows all the secret passageways in the castle. And he he opens this one up for, or or lets Renera know where this is so he can take her out to the city life. Well, and so when she first meets up with him and he's waiting there for her, they immediately start going down the steps and hold hands. Yep. So four years have gone by. They've had a couple conversations and stuff, but this just shows such an immediate closeness with these two. And it still walks that line of the physical contact, the holding hands, you know, with these Targaryens and the age difference and everything. It could be a little girl holding the hands with their uncle, or it could be somebody who's more comfortable with what's going to happen. So. The next several scenes contrast Alicent's life with Rhaenyra's life. And it reminded me of the first episode where there was the tournament violence and then the, the giving birth violence. And this is, it, it just likes to juxtapose mm-hmm. different things for different people. So Alicent now is washing Viserys' injuries and we see that he's a mess. Um, we, he's in the tub, so we don't see a ton of right, it We yet. see it later with the sex too. Yeah. But, but he, this is a great example of how they have tons of servants to do everything for them. There's literally like four people lined up there yeah. while they're bathing him. And I liked this scene because it shows that Allison doesn't have to do this. She doesn't even have to be present. Do you think Cersei ever did this for Robert? <laughs> right. So she doesn't have to. And yet not only is she present, she's there and she's offering comfort to him. She's, she's connecting with him. So I don't think she's cold. You made the comment with our first impressions ones that she doesn't feel. And I, I think she does care about him. I think she just doesn't like sex. Um, and so, like, I just thought it was sweet how... She gave him privacy, and she was very kind. And he even comments, he's like, your touch is much better. They're exploring the city, Renera and Damon. We see lots of cool scenes here that we talked about in our other ones, so I don't want to necessarily go over the specific scenes unless you want to. Um, but I, I did more clearly. Like, I, I remembered it the first time, but the Sir Harwin, when Renera gets stopped by him, um, he very willingly lets her go. And so there was a choice there where he, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm helping you out here. But he's also like, careful, you're not going to be as lucky next time. And I think he's right. Had she been caught by someone else? Well, right. So in the first episode, we see that Damon and his white cloaks, the city watch, are cutting the hands off thieves. And then had she not been who she is, she might have been in big, big trouble there. Now, we don't, Harmon didn't see her steal, so that perhaps didn't, you know, he didn't know that. But right. So Sir Harmon lets her go. And then not only that, but when Sir Harwin and Damon make eye contact. Rhaenyra says, don't, to Harwin. So maybe we were going to see a fight there. I don't, I don't know exactly what she was telling him to don't. But there was some tension there, and she's basically asking him to stand down in some way. So they're watching the play. Damon takes her to the play, and I think Damon 
knew what this play was going to be. As this, so this is a lesson to her. They use these plays a lot in Game of Thrones, in the books and in the show. It's a way to see, to, to get a pulse on the, the, the tempo of the small folk, right? <clears throat> yeah, the common people. Where, where are the currents right now? And... Right, and Rhaenyra thinks that she can dismiss the fact that people don't like her, and Damon tells her no. It was very Joffrey Ask who said that last episode. Right. Also, the camera work here and the, the direction choices, it specifically showed women booing Rhaenyra. So it showed two times when they were like, oh, will it be the, the realm's delight? Boo, boo. And it wasn't just a bunch of men. It was, it was the women also. So that throws on just another layer of how this whole society could be patriarchal, not just the men enforcing it downward. And then we cut over to Alicent sleeping. The king, uh, king's feeling horny in the middle of the night, summons her. She's reluctant. Oh, it's so late, you know. Um, They're juxtaposing right. all this still. We really see here Damon and what's happening in these um, brothels and whatnot. They're, they're making a big point that sex can be pleasurable, it can be fun. And this was really good because most of Game of Thrones, one of the big criticisms they've had is that the sex is almost always exploitative and... Often seems non-consensual, and you know who your audience is, and it's a bunch of men. Like you can tell that this that like it's the way that porn is often filmed that you're not anticipating women watching this, and that is often how I felt it with Game of Thrones. And you're used to it, like for me as a woman watching this, like I'm very used to it that way. Um, but I I also made a note of this, so this is something where you and I don't take any notes the first time we watch. We just watch it like everybody else. And then we just offer whatever comes to our mind for our first episode. But then we rewatch it. And as we rewatch it, we both kind of take notes when, you know, the fancy strikes us. And this was something that I wrote here of how I really appreciated how this was filmed. Because I definitely think that a lot of uh, extra thought went into it to not have all those things that you just said. It didn't feel that way. And I thought it was pretty representative of what it was probably like, but also of a lot of different types of sex um, and sexual interactions with people. Um, right, I thought was, that the drums and... It was erotic. It's like the best... It was like... Yes. Pe- people were all there voluntarily, or at least, you know, whatever, within the context. Right. You know, um, you know we're not going to ask every person there. Right. But there's men and women doing like kind of a sex show. Yeah. You know? There's like gymnasts or something right. there. So it was literal pleasure seeking situation. And this is completely contrasted with Viserys and Alicent, whose sex scene is just painful to watch. We really see how bad shape he's in with all these scabs and everything. He's falling apart. Yeah. Now we really right. see. And she is, yeah, she's not enjoying it. Whether she knows how to be any other way or not, we don't really know. That was a point you made in our first one is that, like, this is the, she's a teenager. It's the first person she's ever been with, and she's been pregnant twice already. But if no one ever teaches you and no one ever talks to you about it, and it doesn't feel good, how how would it be? And and again, she's also getting saddled with children. She, right. She's got two kids, and she's, what, 19? And the way they filmed it was particularly unflattering to the series. Like, yeah. like you're like, ugh, like just the, the I, noise I he's making. I did exactly like, yeah. think and say and, and just the whole way you, you embody that, that is how I felt watching And I like the series, so it kind of made me sad <laughs> to see that. You know, you're just like, ugh. 
I want to note that yeah. it was a female director. Yes. They've only had, I think, four or five episodes through all Game of Thrones directed by a female. And, and I thought it was smart that this one was done. Yeah, apparently so. This is one of my favorite episodes. So Damon and Rhaenyra go to the pleasure house. And Damon takes off their masks or their disguise. He unhoods him and her. Symbolism here? I don't think symbolism. I think strategy. I think at this point, I think he wants to get her in trouble. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to soil her so that he can marry her. <clears throat> because he, he is open for all to see. So And the people in the pleasure house are noticing. They're turning their heads. They're looking at them. So regardless of the, you know, the kid who rats on him, which we'll talk about later, we now, Sir Harwin knows that they're out there. All these people at the pleasure house knows exactly who they are. And they're doing this in front of all these different people. And it very much made the point. Damon gave her the disguise earlier and ripped it off when they got here. Damon starts putting the moves on her. They're feeling very sexual here. Doesn't work out. So my, my first viewing was that this was his uh, erectile dysfunction issue or whatever we want to call it. His, his problem he had in the first episode. And you didn't quite see it that way. How did you see it upon second viewing? It, I was trying to pay attention to it. You can see that that could easily be the case with it, that that it's working and then it doesn't work um, in, in that sense. But it, it turns out we're both right. Yeah, per the um, inside the episode, they explain that he both had some physical problems and was having some conscious problems. I will say, though, those inside the episode things, they don't they lie sometimes or they miscommunicate what they're talking about. So you remember last episode? They're like, all right, there's Damon before the Stepstones, and then there's Damon after the Stepstones. That's that's what they said in the episode three inside the episode. Mm-hmm. And then we get to episode four, and it's the same freaking Damon, <laughs> you know. And then she says, um, Renera's actress says in the inside the episode, well, she didn't technically lie. Uh, she did lie. She yeah. lied a lot. <laughs> so they, I don't think they fully remember well, what they're talking about. Well, maybe she was referring to the lie, uh, like because some things she was telling the truth, and some things that she wasn't. Yeah. But regardless, it, it, yeah. So it doesn't work out for Damon. Um, for a lot of it's, it's a complicated situation. You know, he's he's being manipulative here. I think I think he's trying to sully her. Yeah, um, actually, I, I I think that's my take on it now as well. That he's very much not looking out for her at all, and and really risking a lot. Uh, like at some point, it said that it like Jaharis would have disowned her. So th- this really is a big deal. Like as much as I think people want to be like, ah, whatever, it's not fair. Okay. But it's still in this time and place where it is that big of a deal where it, she could have lost her crown. Right. And it's such a complicated thing because it's like, it's unfair that Renera gets judged differently than a man. So you want to be like, whatever, she's just having sex. Like she has a right to have sex. Like, why is it so bad? But then we also see that Damon is manipulating her into this situation. So yeah. it's, So it's like... <laughs> there's a I, I really felt there was a lot of manipulation happening here a lot of grooming a lot of taking advantage he's much older than her he's much more knowledgeable about a lot of these things he should know better she in a lot of ways is quite innocent and he he's using all of that to his own means and ends and, and it, it's it's cringy for his character and then not so when he walks away not only is their their hair being seen, they're in public. She says, "Damon." Yeah. So, <laughs> any last possibility of anonymity is completely wiped out. At least out there. for him, but he's well known in the pleasure houses. She is not. And right. in the first episode, they're like, "Hey, we can get someone with white hair for you." 
So unless people are well for like familiar with her face, which I don't know why most of the people in Pleasure House would, she could have still had some and been confused for right. someone with dyed or uh, like a wig, dyed hair. And but Damon no was definitely known. So then the spy kid apparently notices this all on the way out. So that was um, a little. I'm not so, sure what to make so of it. So this is what I think it all is with this. When Otto is woken up, they say there's a message from the white worm. I think these boys are literally just pages. What, what Renera was dressed up as, they are boys who carry messages from other people. So it means that there is someone who has knowledge who is sitting this way. I think the boy noticed it. And then went and told the white worm. And I think the white worm confirmed this. And I think you and I, like, I don't think it's hidden that much. So it's actually, once you see it, it's pretty obvious. I believe the white worm is Missaria. Oh yeah, 100%. She's wearing a white dress. She works in the pleasure house. We see a boy give her money. Another page here. After this whole exchange, I think the show very much basically showed us and showed us clearly, but they didn't tell us. And then, uh, so what I think happened is, Masaria knows her way around pleasure houses here. She's pretty high up there. And, and she even housed Damon when he got so drunk and didn't, couldn't even fend for himself. Like, talk about risky here. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that Masaria would have the means to be able to confirm. And then she did. So even though the right. boy didn't directly see, she was able to take that information and actually do something with it. Right. Half the people in that pleasure house could be working for Masaria. And remember, Littlefinger got a lot of his information with this exact way as well. Yep. So Rhaenyra gets home and is still, um, you know, all the things we talked about in our first episode. She's physically and emotionally worked up after what just happened with Damon. And there just happens to be a very handsome, young, strapping lad. That there is a con- that she does have a connection. That's with. right. I mean, this is like one of those things where, how could this not happen all the time? Like, it's got to be naive to think that you can put two young people in intimate setting all the time and not run this risk. There's a lot of ways that she could have seduced Sir Kristen Cole, but she went about it, and, and still, like, this was another example of that immaturity, this childishness that we're seeing throughout the episode from her. It worked, and I think it could have been cute under different circumstances, but this just further showed me just how childish she's still acting. I agree, but I think if she came on too sexy, he might have been strong enough to turn around. But it was kind of like, worked in a little bit playful, she got him to inch his way into the room, she closed the door, he didn't, things like that. So it was... I mean, she used it to maneuver and to kiss him the first time and stuff. And and I get it, like, as long as she kind of still shows him that she's the innocent friend that he's kind of been drawn to all this time, like, it, it did work. I just, there were just some times when she did it where it just, it, I just was still reminded of how immature she is. Yeah. And they set this up a little bit last episode, not only with them being together, but in one of their conversations, Cole says something to the effect that before he was a Kingsguard, he had lived kind of a wild life. Mm-hmm. So we know that he's he's DTF, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and this taking on this life of celibacy is going to be hard for someone like him. And it's too hard. Um, well, is it that they have to be celibate or they cannot take a wife and... I think they're supposed to be celibate. Because, um, like, even at the the wall, there's some understanding with the people in power at the wall. Like, 
it's not going to happen. Like, and so a lot of times they allow people to go to, what is it, Mole Town or something, where there's... Well, people stray. A, yeah. a pleasure house there. But they kind of sometimes allow it. They, they, they turned a blind eye kind of thing to it. Yeah, people stray all the time, but the Kingsguard are supposed to be celibate. So someone like Barristan Selby, Selby, you could believe that he was probably celibate. That is like a, a true knight through and through. And a lot of them, definitely not. It's just, like you said, just like the Night's Watch. It's, you know. I mean, it's human nature. Right. It, it, it's very, very difficult for people when you have a large group for that to be the case. When Rhaenyra is stripping Cole of, of all of his uh, armor pieces here, she's often taken up a piece and you can hear it fall to the floor. However, she takes off the white cloak and purposely hands it to him and he takes it and then sets it on a chair. So it's kind of her saying, I like... Yeah, this is your choice. Yeah, and, and by doing this with me, you are going against your oath here as a knight for the white cloak that you bear and what that represents. Um, I am not removing your choice. This is your choice. And, and, and you are and, stripping yourself of what that truly means. And he hesitates. He looks at it for a second. He, he spends a second or two debating it, but he's a young man and she's a young woman. No more to say. <laughs> uh, this sex scene here, I believe in all of Game of Thrones... So all 70-whatever episodes, this might be the first true, what it looks like, lovemaking scene. Can you think of any others where like this was like filmed with nice music, passionate, different changing positions, a lot of kissing? You know? So I, I know this is a thing. I, I don't know if they're doing it in, Game, or in House of the Dragon. Um, but uh, for anyone familiar with the show Bridgerton, when, which there's definitely sex scenes, uh, they they have a thing called an intimacy coach who basically comes in and choreographs and meets with the actors ahead of time. And like your hands going on this boob at this time, like it really is all choreographed and not to make it stale or inauthentic, but to actually make it much more authentic and comfortable because I think the more that the actors are comfortable and not ablibbing something that's this important, it can really benefit the scene and to to get the final product that you're saying here and i wouldn't be surprised if there was uh oh for one sure. of these 100 <laughs> intimacy coordinators yeah. involved because it was well done and again back to what we were talking about with the pleasure house i thought it was filmed well where i felt like i was part of the audience i definitely was like yeah and we have a lot of shots of both of them but also of renera but not just in like this porn star-esque kind of way my major criticism of this is <laughs> how is someone who is supposedly doesn't have much experience at all in education, but also literally having sex that uh, comfortable and... Yeah, she looked very professional for a virgin. Um, I, I, I just and don't I, buy it at all yeah. for multiple levels. But like, okay, if we set that aside, it, it was well done for right. both the actors and how it was directed and... Well, if they're trying to portray lovemaking versus just sex, because even lovey couples we've had in the past, like Khal Drogo and Danny, there was no lovemaking really that we saw there. Dan, I guess Danny and Dario, we saw laying in bed, but it, like a passionate sex scene, I just don't recall from Game of Thrones. Maybe I'm missing we often, something. We often get the after the fact. So, for example, uh, Ned and, and uh, Caitlin, 
Catelyn. Right, they're snuggling and stuff. But it, it, Well, we catch them once very poised and it's in the very, it might even be the first episode. Right. Um, and it, it is a part of the books. They are very close. They also have a passionate relationship, which, but you never catch the actual scene. To well, your right, point, it's I'm always not. after the I'm fact. not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying yeah. that from the filming, this is the first I'm time we have seen I'm trying to remember it. if Jon Snow and... Um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he goes down on her and then it cuts off scene. Um, kissed by fire. <laughs> Um, no, that's kissing fire. Yep. Yes. You're right. Otto now has to go tell the news to Viserys. Great acting across the board. Otto standing outside the door, agonizing over what he's going to say, I guess. Should he say it? Is this too much of a power play for him? There's, there's a lot of stuff going in his head. And just this actor. Just, God, some of these guys, their face acting is so good. Yeah. Even his like limited, like, he doesn't show a big range of emotion. He's very stoic. But he just, yeah. you, you see everything that's going on in this range that he does. Yeah, the actor's name is is, is Reese Ephens, if I'm, I'm probably not saying a lot of these names correctly. But I, I think he has done a really excellent job for Otto Hightower. As someone who doesn't have any background of who the type of like comportment or personality that Otto has, I'm just going off of here, I just feel like he does a really good job. He's consistent. He adds layers, even though we know he's very much playing the Game of Thrones and how he works. He does add some layers here where you're constantly trying to figure out who he is and what's going on. And I liked how it was shot. This is a scene where before he goes in and he's deliberating, he's looking up. But it means the shot has to come up above. Right. So he's already the tallest guy on the show. And it's like he's under all this, the weight of this decision and such. Yeah. It's just, it was cleverly done and, and just well done. And so I really got to hand it to everybody who is a part of the making of this episode. Like, again, even just having thunder in the background for Storm's End, there was a lot of yeah. attention to detail for a lot of different ways of what should be considered for the plot, the characters, but also just for fans and little Easter egg things here. I, oh, I yeah. like There's it. a lot of fan service here, which I, we don't got to get into, but the, the amount of Targaryens they talk about, the amount of history they talk about, yeah. is there's a lot of it. But Otto is also, when he's explaining all this, he's, he's rubbing his palms with his fingers, the kind of sweaty palm thing. And for a guy who comes off stony he is clearly uncomfortable and then Viserys makes him straight out say it like you're gonna, you have to say it. he's like oh do I have to say it <laughs> like, <clears throat> um, but what's interesting is he goes all right so I have some disturbing news to report Rhaenyra was seen in a pleasure house and Viserys first reaction is so what of it you know where Viserys head is and what the real problem is here is is hard to fully understand I believe it would be implied if you're in a pleasure house you're having pleasure but maybe it's not and maybe Viserys is like so what if she's there? Or maybe he doesn't care at all. It's only that it's Damon that messes it up. It's kind of hard to, to understand. I think it's also the series testing Otto. How far are you willing to go to take this? Like, are you really willing to say it out loud to go that far, knowing that this is a really <clears throat> big deal? Right. And so the scene later where Viserys fires him as hand, you might think that Viserys was questioning Otto's um, intention and loyalty based on the conversation with Nera right before that, but he's already doing this here on his own. Yep. So. Well, and again, this is a comment I made with the last episode when Otto suggests that Aegon be betrothed to Rhaenyra. 
like Viserys just gets upset. Like he knows what's going on. He can see it even with Otto. So there's already some precedent here where we can we know that Viserys knows. He's not some blind king who can't see anything. Um, but here, I think it's become so apparent to him. You know, like because of Viserys' personality, I think it's easy for people to kind of underestimate him. And and the, this is an episode where Viserys really actually is starting to like. I want to amend what we talked about at the end of last episode that I actually think Viserys is playing the Game of Thrones pretty well here in this episode. He He's just showing his hand more. Yeah, one of the best things about Viserys for me as a viewer is that he comes off as a real person. Like, how would a real, rational, modern-day person be in all this situation? And he comes off as that. He's not like a party animal like Robert. He's not stone-cold like Tywin or Cersei. He's just like a guy who's trying to do his best and shit is hard. <laughs> Well, and, and he even says when he's talking with Rhaenyra that everybody is self-interested. Yes. It's the way of it. I, mean, I thought it was one of the most on-point, intelligent things he could say, which again shows how naive Rhaenyra is about a lot of this stuff. And it also lets us as an audience know how tuned in this series is, even if he doesn't act like it. Yeah, when people say that being cynical is a bad trait, I always disagree with them because this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is well, the series cynicism is perfect. Especially then, because it, it is accurate and yeah. true there. Now, one thing real quick about this auto scene when he, he gives the sorts is that Viserys doesn't believe it. He's in denial about it. But not only that, Viserys says, you've been lied to. Who told you this? And Otto doesn't give up the source. So he goes, somebody... I but can't. if he does, he loses that source. Oh, I know, but and still. Then, and his... then it gets known within the community that don't beco- become a source for this guy because he'll give you up. I think he was correct to not give it up. But I also, agree. the king told him, like, the king said, who did this? And he refused to get up. And the king let it go. But it was just interesting because the power dynamics here is the king could have really insisted it, or Otto could have caved or whatever, but Otto stood up to it. And it was an interesting thing. And we, of course, know the source is Messaria. Yeah, so we very much believe that it, it's her. When she was with Damon, we see that things are quite different with them now. He, he is not being kind to her at all and doesn't want any help, even if it would benefit him. Like he uh, throws out that potion, whatever that she makes to make the fog go away. And he is talking very disparagingly towards her. But one of the things that she said is that she got out of the skin trade because she learned it could only take her so far. So it's really showing her that she, in her own way, she's playing the Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, not to be on the throne, but how to advance herself. But not for the sake of power, for the sake of safety. Which right. I think goes back to when she was uh, criticizing Damon before. And one of the things that she said was hard lessons aren't welcomed, but suffered. And I think what a great theme for this episode for almost all the characters that we see. Yeah. So then um, Kristen Cole summons Rhaenyra to meet with the king. And, you know, Rhaenyra's brushing her hair. Come in. She sees Cole. She smiles. She's happy. And he can't make eye contact. He's looking at the ground. And she's like, come here. Like, as if they can just pick up where they left off. There's this naivete again of like, yeah, you can't do that here. Right. This Right. I mean, this is, um, if they were to start an affair, like he would probably get his dick cut off or sent to the wall or killed or something like that. And he had a moment of weakness, but I think it's making clear that he doesn't, he can't allow this to persist and maybe it will, but he, he fucked up the morning after. (laughs) How how, how clueless uh, she is to some of these ramifications. Like 
she's not thinking long term here at all or for other people. It's kind of Damon-esque here. I feel can start to be a setup of their relationship going awry. And you think it's going to go south? Um, if she gets rebuked or if it's, it's probably going to get out about where she was and who she was with before she was with him. Like he could feel slighted in terms of like you were with your uncle and then you come to me. Like, I can't remember who that's going to hurt the pride of many a man. (laughs) There's a piece of life advice. Maybe, maybe you gave it to me years ago. I can't remember, but basically if you want to remain friends with someone, don't have sex with them. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so that's um, that that very well could yeah. could be something I have said. That's, that's good life advice. <laughs> but you know what? You're my best friend, so I guess. Well, unless you're gonna exceptions. marry, but this is forbidden <laughs> territory for these two. But I just it, 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 that scene was so quick and awkward, but it already shows that they had this beautiful, intimate lovemaking moment, and it's already not going well hours later so you know and okay i get it but at the same time like it it could start to be setting the stage i said last episode i'm looking for any little thing every possible time so like it can easily be nothing as well then alisant and renera meet and this is where all the lies come out i really thought about this though we knew she lied the first time we watched it is she supposed to tell Allison the truth here? Why would she? In this situation, if it, really considering Allison lied to her about meeting with her dad and all that closeness, so she's already been lied to. They're not close anymore. They're, they're trying to make amends maybe here, but they are not close, and she is the queen, and her loyalty is to her father. If you're Renera, even if it's whatever you did is true or not, why wouldn't you just unabashedly deny all claims? Yeah, I don't blame her for lying exactly, but this is definitely the most teenage girl scene that we get. She's like, that's a vile accusation. I would never. So even though she didn't technically lie, like, you know, did she did she have sex with Damon? No, she didn't. But she's she's taking it 10 steps further about how like that's just absurd. Thou doth protest too much. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, I agree. I think how defensive she got added again to this petulant immature nature which you know I'm, I'm offering she was the whole episode for the most part there are a few key moments where she wasn't um, and then she also blames Damon like I wanted to go home but Damon kept me out and then he left me and I should have known better uh, but Damon never touched me uh, so and that's I, a I, I swear on my mother that she never touched me <laughs> or he never touched me yeah so, so this so, is so yeah. does this make her less likable well, they've been setting her up all this time where it's been, I've at least been able to find, you know, like her mom just died. This is difficult. So even when you were talking about her being immature last episode, I kind of still was like, you know, she's had a really rough go of it and is all isolated and alone. I kind of get it. This was a time where I'm like, you know, I actually I'm, I'm having a harder time being able to explain or rationalize some of this. I felt like it, like she's much more just like everyone else now in the show. They've been really setting her up. Yeah, and this is classic Game of Thrones. It's like, um, yeah, every character is a shade of gray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Renera has been sullied here in her just her, her purity, whatever. But also, like she's a teenager. It's this yeah. is the way this is the way it is. Um, and Allison says, you know, she's just trying to help her, 
And Allison points out, you have to just make better decisions um, because this, this could all be ruined. So, And this just shows how Allison has matured and is aware of not just what she was taught growing up, but just also like we, we have few cards to hold. And the perception, and this is the big thing here, what Viserys says, it's not actually what happens that matters. It's the perception. And, and this is where uh, Allison is like, if the perception of your purity as a woman in, in, in court... Is questioned. That's one of your biggest aces in the hole. Right. Damon gets caught by the King's Guard. He gets dragged. So this hangover he's got is bad. It made me think if he was drinking more than alcohol. <laughs> um, but he gets dragged into the throne room. He doesn't get caught. He he walks up to King's right, Lane yeah. and they grab. Him. I, just, I just mean he gets he gets taken. Yeah. Um, he gets dropped off and the King's Guard leave. You don't see the King's Guard leave very much. But the it is only Damon and Viserys. Viserys basically is asking Damon to deny it. He's, you won't even deny it. I think the series already knows something went down. Yes, he does, right. He's He just... I, I, f- I feel like he's giving Damon, though, the space to possibly get out of this. I think he, he always has a soft spot for Damon. He always wants it to work out. He's like, you're not even going to deny it. And, and it's funny, though, Damon doesn't. Damon's response, though, is, can you at least tell me what is going on right. so I can work to figure out how I'm going to deny it? <laughs> And not only does it does he not deny it, which he could have said, you know, I did not take her virginity, and that would have been a true statement. He says, "Better her first experiences with me." So he, he not only does he not deny it, he confirms it, sort of in a way. And then, you know, Viserys is like, "You've ruined her." Like I said earlier, I believe Damon wanted to ruin her because yeah. he proposes marriage now. Yeah, and he doesn't hold back at all. He's he's putting it out there. And not, not only is he putting it out there, so he, he wants to ruin Rhaenyra's for him, to be married to him. And then he's saying that I'll restore the Targaryens to their proper glory. Now, going back to last episode when Viserys says to Jason Lannister, do you think House Targaryen wants for strength? Like, what glories have they lost? Where There's, there's peace in the realm. They have... Power. I don't think they're taken seriously anymore. I think they were overall feared, uh, and there was loyalty across the board. What happened? The stepstones would never have happened and go unchallenged. Well, I, maybe I, I, I don't think know. it's it's there's a lot of dissent in terms of like the line of succession and what's. I, I just I actually think Damon's right. It's not it's not as bad as it it got later on, but it's not what it was at its glory days. Like and and. I mean, they I, seem I, completely unrivaled to me. Like, the Stepstone thing happened, but not only was it quashed, but it was barely... Like, Viserys, maybe this is just him being a bad king. Like, do we even have to deal with this? But there's no rival power in the realm that's... Like, the Baratheons, the Lannister, nobody's vying for the Targaryens. Like, there's, no, there's no question of who's in charge here. The succession is... There's question, but it's still within the Targaryen family. We, we've seen Daemon criticize Viserys before that he's perceived as weak. By his council, by the court, by the realm, by the world. Because, again, the triarchy did what they did and were successful for a time. You don't do that if you're all-powerful and don't want to mess with that. And then also, what's happened with Corliss here? There is a real threat here of Corliss aligned with the free cities. So I, I actually think Damon's got a little bit of a point here that it's not that they're doing awful, but there's just a lot of threats that there weren't before and, and there shouldn't be threats. I think, though, when Damon says return the house to its full glory, this is one of the rare times when he is speaking the full truth. It's, that's what he wants. He may, doesn't necessarily want the throne. He wants to return the house to full glory. 
and he, he feels stifled with that and that hasn't been happening yeah yeah and there's no more to, to say about it. i've harped on this point a bunch of times but i just feel bad for Viserys here because he's wants this brotherly thing and Damon just keeps well, being a twat Damon and uh, Rhaenyra are his political headaches as, as, yeah he, as that was he a great That's, line yeah, she's, yeah you are it and, yeah. but Damon is too I'll throw this in here of just our discussion of House Targaryen and, and its full glory is Viserys concern with what anybody thinks ever about anything a sign of some of this weakness that he's becoming too much like them because Damon's the type to be like who gives a fuck? No one cares. We will rule. We want to go to a pleasure house, then we will. Man, woman, doesn't matter. Um, like, is this maybe a way in which it's being seen as weakness catering to these perception and what the realm wants and that sort of thing? Right. Yeah, I guess it's true. If, if they're truly powerful, go fuck yourself. Because Aegon the Conqueror took on two wives and married right. his sisters and literally had exactly that. And so... It's not even Damon deciding that's it. He has history to prove it that you can do some of the biggest social faux pas here and everybody will will applaud you for it if you were powerful and respected enough. Now, I said this in our shorter podcast and I, I'll just quickly repeat that. As a book reader, I didn't know who was going to sleep with who here. I didn't know exactly how the scene was going to go down because it's quite ambiguous in the books. But what we do know in the books is that Viserys and Damon have a falling out at this point and banished again. And banished again. So that happens just like it in the book. And essentially, Viserys, even though he's serious this time, is letting him off with a slap on the wrist. So one of his counsel, I believe it was Lionel Strong, says, You should kill this guy. And Viserys refuses to do it. But it, the talk of execution for Damon is in the air in, in the books. Mm-hmm. And But Viserys still, all he does is say, You got to go back to your wife. Like, that is a pretty light <laughs> punishment. Not to um, Damon, though. Not to Damon, right. <laughs> and then Alicent and Viserys are talking, and Alicent is defending Rhaenyra and saying that she believes Rhaenyra. And I wonder if this will like blow up in her face and cause further division, because it looked like they were rekindling their friendship, but now if Alicent finds out that Rhaenyra wasn't being fully truthful to her, how, how things might go. Yeah, I, I'm curious of a couple different motivations for Alicent here. I think she wants to believe Rhaenyra. Yeah. And so that's part of it. Um, but then also maybe connecting with Rhaenyra, and this is a chance to bring them closer. Yeah, so then Rhaenyra meets with Viserys, and it was Cole and another guard who opened the door for her. And going forward, Cole just must be on edge all the time. Like, he can get ratted out at any point and <laughs> lose his manhood. But he opens the door and lets her in, and she goes in, and she sees that dagger. Now, this dagger... I, don't, I can't remember if we were just in this past podcast or not, but this is the dagger that kills the Night King. Oh. Yeah, and this is the dagger that's the cat's paw that cuts Catelyn's hand and treads. Like, this dagger has a lot of history. Oh, when Joffrey steals it to assassinate Bran? Right, yeah. Yes. That's this one. Wow. And that's the same one that kills the Night King. At least that's what I'm hearing around town. Um, <laughs> but um, I sure hope not in the street of silk. <laughs> yeah. So they bring up the Prince That Was Promised story again. So this is a, a big thing that Viserys is holding on to. It's inscripted in the dagger, the, the story, um, from the, the Prince That Was Promised, from my blood. John had done the killing. This would make so much more sense. It's like <laughs> it's like the, the guys from Game of Thrones, like, ah, let's just make Arya do it. When every 
single thing before and after in the books is everything is pointing to John being the prince that is promised. So I don't know. They're, they're trying to shoehorn it in here. And I like it. I like that it's that there's this extra mythology that we don't have from the books and that they're adding. And it's interesting, but it's also like it just doesn't work out really because it wasn't a Targaryen blood or anything to do with them that put it that directly put an end to the threat. You know, John was there and obviously it was a very important role in it, but I don't know. This is one of those, like, do you think that D&D got it wrong and it wasn't supposed to be Arya and they made it be Arya? That's what I think, yeah. And, and so then it's a screw-up there. Or do you think, like, George R. R. Martin was like, sure, okay. Um, and then this just turns out this whole song from Aegon was just nothing. It was wrong. It was just wrong. Yeah. But they're they're talking about it now. So that's the thing. This isn't in the books. So they're introducing it now. Which, like, I don't think Arya is going to kill the Night King in the books. I think it has to be John. I know they like to throw you for unexpected things and all that, but... This th- is making a very large assumption that these books will ever be written. Right, yeah. But, yeah, this is just so weird how they're, they're reintroducing the prince that was promised, the Song of Ice and Fire, yada, yada. And Viserys really believes that it has to be a Targaryen sitting on the throne and it has to be a Targaryen doing all these things. And uh, nope, just has to be a psychopathic, faceless little girl. <laughs> She's not psychopathic. <laughs> well, they make you wonder a few times. But yeah, and this is where Viserys says the truth doesn't matter. It's, it's perception. So we talked about that before. He says, you will marry Laenor. And you won't protest. And she doesn't protest, but she says, you got to get rid of Otto. I'm going to do this. You got to do that. But like we saw in the previous scene, he was already questioning Otto's motives. But mm-hmm. this definitely pushed things forward, I think. All right. And then we get the scene where Viserys confronts Otto. Another great scene. All great scenes, great acting. And you can tell Viserys is... He's, he's both struggling here because he keeps going back and forth b- between the reasons why he appreciates Otto so much and why he can't trust Otto. And, you know, he's, he says, oh, you, you taught me how to be king. But then he's also like, your judgment is compromised. He's also letting Otto go in a kind of diplomatic way. Like the, the final word he says to him isn't a negative one. It's a positive one. But he, he lets him go. And it's a tough call. It's, I, I think Viserys is right. Well, and is Rhaenyra right? She calls Otto a vulture. Is she right? Because Viserys already knows that everybody is self-interested and acknowledges it, and that's the way of it. So, you know, Otto is just more of the same, but yet is he? Is he, is he the next step up? Um, and so this is something that I was really wondering when she she very much believes that and says that to him. I don't see Otto as negatively as perhaps some other people do. I do think that Otto has never looked out for Renera. Yeah, never looked out for Renera, but that's... Not precisely his job, I guess. <laughs> and he's also undermined her quite a bit growing up. I mean, he is compromised in that he wants, you know, his grandson to be named the heir. But he also, but whatever, there's, you know, life is complicated. There's conflicts of interest in real life all over the place. And Otto just has a conflict of interest. And maybe it's better to be done with it. Well, and I think what he underestimated, though, was Rhaenyra here. So we can think about the first three episodes there were a lot of times where he really did not take her seriously. He cut her off. He undermined her suggestion. He didn't help nurture that. 
even before she was named heir, he, he disregarded her often. And then when she was named heir, he didn't help in any way prepare her. So I would say he never aligned himself to be an ally to her. And then when he did this, knowing all of that, from her angle, he really is a vulture. But just because he is to her, is he to the realm? And that's the big question here. And But I, I do get from Rhaenyra's perspective that he's never been super helpful to her. Yeah. Especially since her mother died. And then the very last scene is the maester brings the tea to Rhaenyra. The, I think it's called moon tea. And we don't see if she drinks it. She could be carrying Kristen Cole's baby or she could have aborted it with that tea. But we don't see. Sorry, I have a couple comments before the, the tea. Can you splice them in? I can. Well, two things. One, when Viserys and Otto are talking, Otto says that it's an absurdity about Alicent being calculated. Viserys says, I now recognize how calculated that was. And he says that's an absurdity, which now we see Otto line. So we catch Rhaenyra and lies here as an audience. Now we got Otto in one because we all know that's not true. So it's interesting because a lot of people here are scrambling and doing the same things. Yeah. Uh, and then when this final scene with Viserys and Rhaenyra, I liked quite a lot. And what I liked about it is he is finally being much more stern about a lot of what needs to happen for her. Like you were saying, you're going to marry this guy. It's happening. Enough of this. I'm not catering to your demands here anymore. And then she also says, are you going to step up and do what needs to be done? Because Otto is a liability. And they're actually talking to each other about what's best for the realm and saying, hey, are, are we going to do our duties here and doing it? And I, I think this was like a great moment of seeing how well they could rule together if they stopped fighting each other all the time. Do I think that they're going to get a chance to do this? No, is my guess. I'm kind of constantly waiting, going into each episode of like, is this when Viserys dies? Because he clearly has to die for all this conflict to really emerge here. At least that's my take on it. Um, because no one doesn't want him to be king. It's about after he dies. And that's what's being set up. But I just thought this was a nice moment where they could actually work together a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I, I read the book. So what I'm going to guess is this whole season all takes place in one chapter the book <laughs> so i re-listened to that chapter like four times after the episodes come out to like make sure i really know what's happening and aside from the big events that are coming in the future i actually don't remember a lot and i was reminded today of the demise how somebody one of our cast of characters is gonna their journey is gonna end and i had totally forgotten about it and i was <laughs> like fuck i wish i didn't know that so I think when this season ends, I'm not going to read again. I'm going to let my mind forget all the details and just enjoy it fresh. Because as we're like talking, um, it's not like I really say too much about what I know because I don't want to spoil much. And I do show where it differs from the book, but only in little details. So I'd, I'd rather just let it fade from memory and watch the Well, maybe what you can do forward. is moving forward, first impressions you don't reread, but in between first impressions and... Um, yeah, Maybe. That's, yeah, that can be time-consuming. So that way uh, you catch the... All right, last thing. So let's do our rating. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, so this one sat with me kind of awkwardly, but that doesn't mean it wasn't really well done. And so I would put it at an eight. Yeah, I'm going to give it like a nine and a half. So it's my favorite episode of the season and one of the better episodes overall. 
it just didn't have like the tension that I like with some of the battle scenes when you don't know who's going to win or lose or die. So it didn't have that. That might have pushed it up. But for what it was, I can't really ask for anything else. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in a few days.